Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Okay, so this week's legendary guest is the one that every other person I've spoken to has spoken about. And it is the original legend that is Ronnie Size. I'll probably start off with a question that is um, the the same question I talk about in every podcast is how do you feel like ravers changed or do you feel like ravers changed over the years? It's only natural that it changes. Um, I think when the music first started, it was so experimental that people didn't even know how to dance to it, let alone yeah, know that. what was going on. They didn't know if they were dancing to the bass or they were dancing to the <laughs> to the drums or uh, dancing to the MCs. They didn't really know how to move to it. So that was like a, a progression. And uh, I remember oh, going to Germany and it was like loads of baby giraffes uh, just being <laughs> born. Like they, they, they were like, you know, they were doing moves that... <laughs> You could use, it was something out of the office, you know. If you were watching a, a Christmas party, yeah, some off-key moves. So, in like places like in, like I said, like in parts of Europe, they loved the music, but they just didn't know how to move to it. Or even go to America, they just didn't know how to to dance to it. They would use like um, hula hoops, those uh, you know, and they glow sticks and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But through the years, um, people now to move to the music now. It's almost tribal, and um, you see that the, the the crowds have changed so much. It's it's a great thing to see. I was just saying to um, to your producers just just then, like you know, twenty five years I've I've seen these crowds change every year. Wow! Uh, from students to um, you know a really it's it's, very, it's tribal. Yeah. I would describe it as very tribal, and yeah. the, the the crowd out there at the moment are incredible. I mean, because I think when I started becoming a drum and bass fan, particularly, or, or, or a fan of the scene, um, I I was born in 94, so, so I was kind of always brought up with drum and bass being around. I couldn't really imagine a time when it wasn't there and people didn't know what to do to it. But still now, and it's funny you say that, I was at a rave um, in Stratford-upon-Avon, actually, randomly, um, when my brother was was DJing, but um, you know, it's it's what my favorite thing of, about the scene is, especially in the rave culture of drum and bass um, and jungle and and everything that comes around it, um, is that it's not a genre you can dance sexily to. It's not a genre that you know people you're looking at other people to see what they're doing and how cool they look. It's I remember the first time I went raving when. I was 18. What I loved about it was that everybody was doing their own thing and supporting everybody else in doing that. Um, but this rave I went to, it was, again, students, kids younger than, than I. It was about, they were probably around the age of 16 to 20, but they had no idea how to move to it. And it, it is quite amusing to watch um, people trying to work out how to go along well, to it. Well, you know, one of the, the things I would say that... Um it's a very sexy music, and um, there, there was a time when, you know, when it was just before it became it was it was jungle. And uh, I remember going to places like Royal Express. Uh, there are clubs in in London. These clubs were mm. uh, Sunday roast uh, uh, down up in um, Oxford Circus. Uh, 
<laughs> yeah, the club's not there anymore. I forget the name of the club. Um, but it was, it was those days, and it was very mixed culturally. I think it was partly the all the people that was into to jungle kind of went to garage. Yeah. When the music kind of changed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there was a real element of of sexiness people used to come out dressed up in their nines they would come up you know <laughs> girls would be dressed up and you know they they went to they went to town yeah. and so you know but then it did change it got a little bit like you know over the last couple of years i started to see mosh pits and i was like whoa yeah. whoa are yeah. we going down this road now are we mm-hmm. is mosh people are moshing but that's just because that's the way they want to express themselves. They, that's all they know. I think moshing is a very like a generational thing anyway. I don't know whether it will carry on into... Hopefully not. I I really don't enjoy a mosh pit personally. I just like my own space and I like to rave. But as you say, people find different ways to express that's, themselves. And that's it. And you, you know, if, if they love the music and they're going to express themselves, whether they're going to you know, crowd surf or whether they're going to mosh or they're just going to be down at the front shaking their head and, you know, shaking that barrier. And yeah. or I, I just love it when you when you do a mix and you're in the mix and then it drops and then everyone just simultaneously just goes, whoa, yeah. and you get that vibe. And yeah. that's, that's the thing. It's that like, must be a that, moment every that, time. Yeah, it's like, mm. you know, it's like a single appreciation yeah. from a thousand people. Yeah. And that is, it's, it's almost like taking, um, like a, you know, starting a, start a rocket ship, like the key to a rocket ship, like, yeah. <laughs> I love that. That's my favourite. I bet, man. It's, it's, it's one of my favourite places to be. Um, let's start at the beginning. I'm fascinated by the Bristol scene um, and I'm fascinated about how and where um, it all started and the progression of it for you, really. How was that for you? How how was was there always a scene in Bristol, and you just kind of found your place in it? Did you feel like you were creating a scene in Bristol yourself? There's a lot of questions there. Yeah, sorry. No, but it's, no, <laughs> but it's, it's there, and they're all they're all they're all valid. Is everything there is valid? Bristol, uh, you know, is always being tarnished with this brush of having uh, this creative uh, energy in the water. You know, they're like, what's what's in the water down there? What yeah. is it? What's what's going on in Bristol? What's, you know, you know, um, you, you know, you had a, a lot. It's a small place. You had a lot of people who used to go to the same record shops. They used to go to the same pirate radio stations. They used to like rub shoulders in the same clubs. And they basically just used to hang out in the same cafes, and they kind of everybody just knew each other. It was a very small city. There's no secrets. Everyone knew each other. Everyone knew what they was doing. Everyone knew who had a studio. Everyone knew who was doing what. And, you know, I put it down to people like Smith and Mighty. Um, two guys, Rob Smith and Ray Mighty, who were two guys in, in Bristol. They they signed the first major record deal. Um, yeah. I think it was with London Records. I'm not yeah. sure if they actually signed it, but I think they... they go to sign a deal with Pete Tong I think way back in the day I'm not wow. not 100% sure if they did mm-hmm. but um, yeah they were the, they were the first to really to step out you know when it comes to electronic music and to dance music what they was doing was really special and they had a studio and they would invite people into their studio to come along and to to make music, people like Port's Head were doing their thing. Yeah, uh, Jeff was doing his thing. Tricky yeah. was doing his thing. Uh, there was a lot of rock bands. Yeah, um, and then you had people like, you know, Nelly Hooper who came from Bristol, but he left Bristol and went to join Soul to Soul. Wow. And uh, so he was like the first person we saw on the TV and was like, yeah, we know wow. him. He's, he's Bristol boy. Top of the pops. You're top of the pops. Yeah. Uh, in that video, he was there playing the bongos. You know what I mean? <laughs> and um, it, it was just lots of parties and lots of people really, really wanting to just, just to do their thing without being told what to do. Yeah. It's a real rebellious city. Yeah. And um, I got that vibe. It must have felt like it. It must have felt like, cause as I was saying to you earlier, I went to that art exhibition in in Bristol, which was the seven decades of music, where you were heavily mentioned. So was Portishead. Um, so are a lot of other people that you just talked about. But I, I mean, if you've got all this 
as you say, it's such a small place. If you've got all these people bubbling away and creating creating a pathway for themselves, surely it must feel like you were a part of something that was that where the possibilities were endless. Well, I, I was find myself being really lucky. I just had this bird's eye view of right. watching everything happen. You know, as well as the the names that people know about, there's a lot of unsung heroes in Bristol as of well. Of course, yeah. there's a lot of people that are that are, are they're they're you know in their in their own town. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They're they're G's. Do you know what I mean? They yeah. they are. You know what I mean? You mentioned someone like you know risky risky business or you know a couple of guys like Joe Peng. These guys are G's in their own right. You know what I mean? So Bristol is a place which for me. I had that that vision of being able to watch everything happen. Yeah, I had the perfect view, the perfect view, watching Wild Bunch grow into Massive Attack. Yeah, you know, and just watching all these parties just just develop, and then you know, watching and listening, you know, to uh, you know, Blue Lines come out and seeing the impact it had. Massive Attack's first album was incredible. Yeah, fantastic, and yeah, I, I had a great, great, great view of everything seeing what happened seeing fresh fall and for me you know i was always there in the wings right people was like oh who's this kid who's this kid what's this kid all about what's he doing <laughs> and i was always there in the corner just like just doing my thing just the quiet guy just in the corner not really associated with anyone right until i bumped into crust right. and then bumped into dj die and then bumped into serve and where did you meet all these people at what acid acid house parties well you know it was first we met them kind of on the streets it was all like a like a, it was all just being on the streets just like record shops but then we started raving right and that is when it all started to kick off we saw this guy his name was dj easy groove and we just saw his name on all these flyers it was like incredible it was like Wah. he's smashing it he's Great on dreamscape too. fantasia mm. he was top of the bill and i went around to his house and i saw him and um you know, it, he was just like, he was the man, DJ Easy Groove, and kind of inspired us to go into the studio with a couple of friends of us. You know, the way to get your music played was to make a record right. and put a DJ's name on it. Yeah. And that's when we came together as Freeway Split. We put this record together. It's called The Wicked Them Rule. And um, it's just a, a rave record with bass lines and some reggae riffs and yeah, it was and me. this was with this is DJ with, Easy Groove. So, well. th- so we just used DJ Easy Groove. Uh, we just put his name on there, <laughs> but he didn't actually have nothing to do with it. Did he but not? we, but we just gave him the track because it was just right. a way of just like you. It's like you know, like Grandmaster Flash and uh, uh, Melly Mel, whatever the the track or uh, White Lines, whatever. Yeah, Grandmaster Flash. I don't think he had anything to actually do with it. It was just right. He was just the first person just, to they, get his hands on it. Well, right? yeah, you kind of it was like. N- Name this record by association. Who's right. hot? Easy Groove from Bristol. Right. Let's give it to him to play. Do you know what I mean? And it was just, it was just like a a great marketing strategy. That's so a strange thing because you couldn't really get away with doing that now. You could. Do you reckon? I think so. I think if somebody <laughs> put my name on something and said you can have it, I'd be like, what? Well, the Becky Hill mix. <laughs> yeah, of course. You got. Yeah, you know I mean, it's like. All right, let's play the track then. Three way split with DJ Easy Groove. It's, it's your name is R O N N I E. Who else was there? Uh, it was uh, Alvin. Yeah. And Bonnick. Yeah, that's what's and, on there. Uh, you're, you're correct. It's, it's crazy. Uh, I remember like you know talking to Brian G and he was like, he was like, yo, what are you going to call yourself? What are you going to call yourself? And I was like tinkering around with different names. I was always going to be Ronnie. Why Ronnie? Well, Ronnie was some like there was a film called Babylon, and right. um, there was a guy in there called Ronnie. And I don't know, it just resonated with me. Like, Ronnie, Ronnie. It's just always, it was always something easy to, um, something to, to scream. It always just resonated yeah. well. But um, the, then it was like the size. And uh, that's got an original story because I used to hang out with a friend of mine and, and uh, we used to always go out to gigs and looking for, for so what, speak 
gun for a girl or whatever. And say, you say, what about that girl? I'm like, no, 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 she's too tall. You say, oh, what about that girl? No, 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 she's too, she's too small. Yeah. Say, what about that girl there? Yeah, yeah, she's Ronnie size. <laughs> so that's kind of how the name kind of okay so it was like uh, it was like it was a bit of like a dating game kind of i love that kind of vibe so it was like yeah it was you know and and it was it was honest and truthful but yeah um i was working with those guys alvin and bonnet great guys and yeah that that tune there was um the first record i put out was on a label called wtp called where's the party and it was from a crew called circus warp cool name circus warp were like Mm like a travel travelers oh right and they were a big group of like back in the day there was these massive um, free parties that happened and there was Castle Morton I've always wanted to go to a free Castle Morton was like the biggest one and Circus Warp were partly to where was that then in terms of Bristol um, so somewhere in the middle of nowhere, it was like you stand on the top of your car, you put your hand to your ear and you listen to where the bass lines come in and wow, you, you and go you that it. way. No maps, no nothing. That sounds like the most exciting way to find a party. Oh, crazy. It Literally, Ray Marty used to stand on the car. And he used to, you have to imagine my hand behind my ear now because it's like a podcaster. And literally, yep, it's... 10 miles down here and then you would drive down there and you'd get there and there'd be like thousands of people just raving. Wow. Crazy times. Best times. And what completely like unsecurity guarded, no check-in, everybody's just kind of out free for all basically. As dangerous as it gets. <laughs> it's, uh, all self-pleased and uh, wow. it was it was great. It, you know, and then Margaret Thatcher put the, what was the, the law she brought in again? It was a... Uh, Brain fart, brain fart. Can't remember now, but um, yeah, she put a stop to it basically. So Margaret Thatcher put a stop to free parties. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, Whoa! I'm, try- I'm trying to remember what the. So when was what... this? Back in the mid eighties, like yeah. 80s. So it was definitely back in like the the early nineties, the early nineties. Right. Was. So yeah. So then what? Ha- how? How was it navigated then, free parties? Because I've realised another art exhibition. I go to a lot of art exhibitions, but I went to the Sweet Harmony one at um, at the Saatchi Gallery, and a lot of it was about the importance of free parties in rave culture, um, and how there was the M25 raves, and how you know you'd get a phone call from you know yeah, somebody you ringing. Get the phone, that's right, you get the phone call. Yeah, the phone call from a telephone exactly box. Exactly that. Yeah, um, and that's not a myth. All that stuff that used to happen. Yeah. I bet. So then, once the law did come in, how 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 was were they just put was was there a just a end put to it all or, well, or you know, was there a navigation they, they, around? They it? kind of moved from being in the fields, then it moved into warehouses, right? And then it kind of like moved into clubs, and then then the 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 legal parties started to happen. So right. the legal parties like Universe and Dreamscape and Fantasia and all the the the, the big tent um, tent vibe right. was turned into what we now call like a festival. So right. it kind of started off on in those early days. Going to Universe was like the best one. Fantasia, um, these parties were just incredible. Uh, you had like you know masses of people. You know, and it was just rave music back then. There was there was no jungle. It was just all kind of like right a cross between. I don't know. I, I, all I can remember for me is there was one tune I I, I heard called Ability Two, and I just remember hearing the bass, and I just thought I'm into this. I love this. It just had some type of um, it was trancey, but it wasn't trance. It I was going to say, yeah, trance. It didn't trance. have the, 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 the four to the floor kick mm-hmm. drum. Right. And um, it was just, you know, it was special. It was, you know, obviously we had Glastonbury. So Glastonbury was always a blueprint of what... A festival should be, What right? it could be like. Mm-hmm. And then it was just tightened up a little bit and then neatened up a little bit. And I think it was Mean Fiddler got involved. And then that's when festivals really started to become a business right you know that, and that's the, do you that's, have do you have one yourself then a festival mm. uh, no, no. <laughs> but, but full cycle we used to like honor quite a few um, right. tents back in the day we right, used right, to right. we used to play and uh together as a unit and it would be like a v recordings tent or full cycle tent. yeah 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 we used to go into clubs we had residency residency down at um 
places like uh, The End or Bar yeah. Rumba. Everyone mentions The End. From what I can gather, really, back in the 90s, especially the early 90s, music was really experimental. Um, so what was it about the ability to record that that kind of caught your eye? I think coming you? from a reggae background um, right. and hearing the combination and hip-hop as well, um, you know, that's my main background. Those two were my life and my soul, my blood. You know, anything that with a with a break beat, anything with a bass line, was you know that was that was that was my lifeline. And uh, hearing ability too, it just kind of had these these breaks in there, and it was it was still four to the floor, but it still worked as well. Yeah, and it just had all these dub sounds. Um, it it just it was just one of those records that I think it just solidified the reason why I got into this music. That is a really nice build-up to this song. This is Ability 2 by Pressure Dub. That is that was a really lovely mental image. I really enjoyed listening to that. And yeah, and when you get to the drop, I think it's it's banging. So yeah, it might be a good seven minutes into that. Uh, it might be yeah. somewhere, but you know, they make you wait. Back in the day, they made you wait for the drop. They made you wait for the drop. <laughs> so I want to know about your producing and and your creative processes and and where it all started for you and um, and how your production has changed over the years in terms of what you use and. Um, and whether it's kind of gone to digital now or um, and how you kind of got started started back in the day. Was it through um, Crust and Die and people like that? Well, you know, we kind of all came, we're, we're all cut from the same cloth. Mm -hmm. And back in the day, to have a studio, you had to have money. And it's as simple as that. And if you didn't have money, then you couldn't buy ground, just buy a desk and a sampler. So you had to kind of know someone who had the equipment. And I was quite lucky. I knew a couple of people that had um, studio setups who allowed me to be able to go in there and to, to you know, twiddle about with with their their equipment. And then I had two brothers. One was into into hip-hop and right. into, into breakdancing. And he had a set of 1200s, Technics 1200s. And, okay. and an old-school realistic mixer. And right. then I had another brother who was more into reggae and sound system. So, and um, Influenced by both. Yeah, mm -hmm. and one of my brothers started buying studio equipment. Just, just bit by bit, bought a drum machine, and then we bought a sampler, then we bought, you know, just a desk. You know, it it took months to save up to buy this equipment. I it bet. was really difficult to, to, you know, to go out and to buy something. It cost, you know... A shitload of money about then yeah. to buy a sampler and samplers wasn't even out there was like a few that was uh, floating around but then I met two guys these two guys called Paul and Andy and they had like the whole kit and caboodle wow they had like studio set up it was great um, they were actually responsible for writing the first Spice Girls album wow so these guys uh, Paul and Andy they're called uh, from a group called Absolute that's what they that's what they went by. Rings about. Actually. But they were used to work for Rhythm King. And when Rhythm King folded, Brian G used to work there as well. And Paul and Andy gave my tapes to Brian G. So is Brian a Bristol boy then? Brian's a London boy. Right. But he comes from Gloucester. Okay. But when Rhythm King folded, Brian G took the tapes and my phone number was written on the tape. So Brian G called me gave up and then call. came down to Bristol and that's kinda like how we kind of all kind of got together, but is that literally it? He took over. He took over. What? Sorry, Rhythm King was it? So Rhythm King folded. Right. Was that a label then? It was a label back right. in the day, and um, yeah, he just took the tapes with him, which Paul and Andy, who I was making tunes with, and then 
basically just gave me a phone call and then came down to Bristol. So No way. And it was just by chance like that that Brian had read your number on the back of one of your tapes. Exactly and, that. You know, and, and, thought, and I'll he, take he was you into it. He was, he was into the music. But um but me and Crust and Die and Sub, we were all like floating around different studios, just trying to just you know, just learn the knowledge about how to make the music, you know. Work experience. Just you know, we go into shops basically on like even in Bristol, you just go into a shop and just mess around on the drum machine for for a couple of hours. Yeah. And so then so Brian gives you a call. Um what's he say? Because yeah, I love your tunes, man. <laughs> I'm gonna come down to Bristol. I'm gonna come down to Bristol. Yeah, that's my Brian G impression. Right, that's quite and, good. You know, and it, it, like we saw his name on flyers and then he had this idea that he wanted to start a label, him and Jumping Jack Frost. Wanted to start a record right. label called Vinyl Experience. Everyone that's talks what, about Jumping Jack Frost. That's right, and that's and it come, That's when it became V Recordings. And um, so was was Jungle was Jungle having its was Jungle in its kind of like strong, strong kind of era at that time, or was it still developing as a genre? It was or? still developing. I don't even think the name was you know it, it was still being flicked around from Jungle Techno to Hardcore, right? To um, yeah, because I heard kind of Hardcore was the first sort of genre to come out of the UK in terms of um, in terms of like electronic dance music. Is that is that fair to say in terms of like from Acid House it would then go into hardcore and then kind of make a progression out there? It was it was you know everyone's going to have their own different story. Like right. London will have their story about right. how it started for them. The Southwest will have their story. Manchester and the North will have their story. Mm -hmm. So it changes for everyone. Right. So for me to actually like try to pinpoint exactly, you know what it was it's yeah. like I can't do that but for me I remember when it changed from being jungle into drum and bass because I just remember it, the the rhythm changed one minute the rhythm right. the, the rhythm was being really sporadic and the breaks were everywhere and bass lines were like you know amens were lashing and all these these sounds were flying everywhere and it was like you know all these effects on keyboards and time stretching Yeah. then all of a sudden it was like it's like actually, you know, I mean, this rain is in a little bit, and then it was a bit more regimental, and that's, and that's when the the beat, the the two step beat came in. Right, it was like the first, like, like boom, cat, boom, cat, boom, yeah. cat, and that's when for me personally, it changed from being jungle right into being drum and bass. Right, that's that's just me personally. Yeah, and it it wasn't really a sound; it was a time. Right, it was an era, and uh, I just remember like between ninety three maybe and ninety two, ninety three. You know, and it was it was you know. Wow, is that when it happened? It's the MCs, man. It's like the MCs take have to take full credit because they would have to make up stuff on the spot. So you had all the MCs on stage. You know what I mean? They would always like name check you, and they'd always say, "Yeah, it's the sound of jungle, or it's the sound. Listen to the sounds of the drum and the bass." And yeah. you know, so you know. Wow, that's really interesting, man. Yeah, so, it's, 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 it's like, you know, for me, I remember being in the crowd. That's quite, uh, so what, you were in, you were actually raving at that point when the crossover from Jungle to Drum and Bass, or, or as in, because I think Jungle's obviously its own genre in itself, but when kind of Drum and Bass was born out of Jungle. Yeah, I, I kind of, you know, I remember when there were no names for the music, it was just, it's just what, what it was, it was just, uh -huh. it was just uh -huh. rolling breaks, it was... You know, <laughs> people were looking for for a name. They were looking for you know for a tag, and then you know you you just run with whatever's happening. You know what I mean? So, no way. That's so interesting. But that's my version. Right. Everyone everyone has their own version, their own interpretation. Right. And for me, my interpretation is when it turned into, you know, like now it's like you have so many names. It's it's, it's great. It's exciting. Yeah, there's so many subgenres and other genres and liquid drum and bass and tech and neurofunk and and they're all and relevant because yeah. like people need to have something to be able to to say this is when I got into the music. You know right. what I mean? There's like I remember when it was dark core, and it was like basically taking anything from dark core dark core oh right dark core <laughs> <Yeah>. okay wow <laughs> don't get that twisted dark core. core yeah so they would take samples from horror films really is yeah, that why they so, call it dark yeah, core yeah there was like you know it was like no way. 
they take all these horror okay. horror movie samples and it was great the music was fantastic Ricky <laughs> Ricky <laughs> it was all these tunes from back in the day and like brilliant but record labels like third party third party and um and obviously people like Omni Trio and those guys, you know what I mean? They were making some great music on Moving Shadow. was yeah. an, an amazing label. So did you feel like if you were if you kind of were around for the for the kind of birth of of that kind of drum and bass, especially the drum and bass beat, did did it feel like there was something new coming within the ravers? Did 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 the atmosphere feel like there was something new coming in and there was a new wave of basically history being created did it feel like that at the time um i think at the time people were just so excited we used to go to music house yeah and you know you could hear everyone's tunes at music house it's a small place in holloway road would you be lining up and yeah then... exactly andy, waiting for your time yeah andy said exactly the same waiting thing. for your time in that queue yeah and like you know you would hear everyone's music you would hear people's tunes that's where you know you had to go in there and you play your music and everyone would hear it. And right. it was it was a special time. You'd be wait nine hours just to cut one dub plate. That's and that's not even said. no jokes. I can't <laughs> even lie about it. I, I could have gone to New York and back in the time that I waited for, for dub plates to be cut. Do you know what I mean? But it's like, it's an old place um, music house. Uh, fantastic. And they mainly cut reggae records. Oh, is and, that right? And that's where I met Rodigan. Like David Rodigan is a G. Right. He must be the most sampled guy in jungle. You know what I mean? His voice has been used on every <laughs> single record. But he, for me, has a mad relevance because he was the first record that I ever heard. He played the first ever digital reggae rhythm. So it was like a tune called Slang Tang. You know, David Rodigan on his ones went to Jamaica and had a, this amazing sound clash with uh, this guy called Barry G. This white guy just went to Jamaica and just <laughs> tore down the place yeah. with this one rhythm, Sleng Teng, and he just drew one after another. One, And that's when the sound clash was sound clash. Yeah. And, you know, it, it is something that is... If you can ever get a copy of the tape, you should check out the clash. It's the most amazing clash you'll ever hear. And, on but this YouTube one tune somewhere. is the first digital reggae rhythm mm -hmm. uh, Wayne Smith sang um, yeah we should play we should hear this tune man yes please way in my brain So you know, funny story about this tune, it's actually a preset on a really old Casio CZ101 keyboard. You can it's still like, get that, right? If you go onto YouTube, you'll see this guy, he goes around Jamaica and he hangs out with all the big artists and sits there with it on his lap and presses start and plays along uh, exactly like this. It's incredible. No you can see it on YouTube, it's great. But this is actually a preset. On a, on a, the, the whole, the whole tune, the, the oh, drums, really? everything is a preset, and then so he just, just made it from the Casio preset. Didn't do exactly. any sort of a EQing. well. That, that's where they came into it. They, that's what <laughs> made it special because the, then King Jammy EQ'd it and made it sound like right. proper. He, you know, he went in there and he put bass in there. He got the drums all separate and he made it sound fat and heavy. And that's that's where the Jamaican influence come into into the the production of this kind of music. You know what I mean? It's, it flips a coin over yep. to you know to to the nod of jungle. Straight 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 it's, over. It's amazing how that is how how influenced. And I suppose my generation wouldn't really understand how influenced jungle is from 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 reggae and. And that whole kind of I mean, everything that comes around. It's the, it's the, it's the, so back to the studio side of things. It's like when I was making music, I always wanted my music to sound like Jamaican digital reggae. Right. I wanted my bass to sound round and fat. I'm like, 
Boy, I don't get the bass there so low. <laughs> I don't get the drums there sounding so fat. The crisp top end. I used to love all that. Do you know what I mean? That was, for me, the, the sound which I was trying, trying to, put to mimic. But using, music. you know, breaks and using like the hip hop breaks. You know what I mean? It was like the combination of what was going on in New York hip hop and the combination of what was going on in on in, in, in Kingston, Jamaica. You know what I mean? And combining those two together. I think that's what we were all doing. I think Dillinger was trying to do that. You know, but then again, everyone's going to have their own story. Yeah, of course. You know what I mean? Their own influences. So do you think that's where this kind of Bristol sound that you've so incredibly got together has come from is because because I, I kind of feel like there is a Bristol movement within drum and bass and especially jungle that there is a sp specific sound um, and I'll I'll use brown paper bag as an example only because it feels like nothing else that has ever come out of drum and bass. Why? Well, thank you. And I kind of feel like, and the reason why I suppose I go, yeah, but it's something to do with Bristol, right? It's got to be something to do with Bristol because it sounds so there. It sounds like, you know, you can, you can feel Clifton Bridge and you can, <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I mean? You hold can, on, hold on. I'm going to have to stop you right there. <laughs> Clifton Bridge is not I'm sorry. <laughs> anything to do with brown paper, blood clot bag. <laughs> I'm going to do a little, little bit of geography for you now, right? Yeah, I've only Clifton been a few times. Clifton is BS8, right? Right. And that is like the up part of town. And St. Paul's <laughs> Eastern is BS1 like or BS6, BS7, Montpellier. That's the area where we, we you know, where we congregated. But, you know, there was times when there was stuff going on in Clifton. Right. But, um, I've never heard the comparison of that record being drawn to. But, uh, it makes me but, think of Clifton Bridge. But, the, but, the, 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 but, you know, look, I love Clifton Bridge. I think it's great. I think it's amazing, Clifton yeah. Suspension Bridge. And it's iconic. And to be fair, I'm quite honoured that you, if you think about it in that terms, I think it's done its job. But going yeah, back to going back to, to the Bristol sound, mm. right? Just like you know, when you're in it, you don't realize what's kind of going on. You you know, when right. you're just in it, you you in the when you're in the bubble, you just roll with the bubble. Do you know what I mean? You yeah. just like you're just rolling around inside that bubble. But it wasn't until magazines we started to you know uh, get interest from magazines. They wanted to come down and interview us, and they they realised something different was going on. But we, you know, we're b-boys, man. We used to, like, competition was everything. Mm. You know, if, like, if Cross made a tune, I want to make a tune better than him here, you know I mean? The, you know, it'll die or whatever. It will serve. We, we, we all wanted to outdo each other, but it was healthy. Right. It was healthy competition. And even with the, you know, with the, the, everyone in Bristol, and even today, I think it's still healthy. That b-boyism, everybody just wants to make a you know a better tune than someone else, you yeah, know, yeah. and not because they want to have like beef or anything, but nah, just nah. Uh, it's just like just a... it's just like bragging rights for for a minute, isn't it? Would it's you like, work nice. with them? Would you collaborate with with the the people you were kind of working like working around? A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
Or was it oh, very yeah. much like, oh, actually, yeah. these are my songs. I'm going to do a better song than you. Oh, just no, 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 no. You know, to me, it's like there's no fun making music by yourself. Yeah, You, you have to, you know, music is for sharing. It's like, it's great to be able to look across the room and just nod in appreciation. You know, it's like when you're both making something, you're like, yeah, you know. It's great, you know. You, you don't want to be like be in a room, like just nodding to yourself, like yeah. You know, you want to appreciate <laughs> it with somebody, don't yeah, you? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So then, how did represent come about then? Well, you know, it, that's an, another story in itself. Like we we were we were working hard. We were making music prolifically. We is that a word prolific? Prolific, yeah. We, we, we were making bare tunes. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It was non-stop. We were putting out a lot of music and um, we started to get noticed by the majors. So when was this then? We're talking mid-90s About 95, point. 96. Right. You know, the majors started poking their nose in. I think people like DJ Rap uh, was making noise. Adam F. Um, wow, had, really? Um, yeah, there was... Is that uh, how long Adam F's been on the scene for then? Oh, he's been there from, from day dot. Oh, shit. Oh, I had from, no idea. He's been there from creation. Probably, you know, even probably you know, a little bit before me, but I, wow. I wouldn't like to say, but um, yeah, he's, he's been there from day dot, Adam F, but there was, um, the majors were poking their nose in and um, people started to notice that they were seeing all the majors uh, turning up at all these parties. I think when Goldie signed the deal, uh, for Metalheads. Well, he signed uh, for Inner City Life. Right, uh, for, right. Okay, cool. This is before his own label. Uh, this is after it. So Metalheads was uh, was running with Reinforced and right. For Hero. So there's so much to talk about. <laughs> it's great. And We've got time. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's, it's difficult to talk about. is because, you know, a lot of this is down to facts. And um, there's a lot of history there. And you have to be, you know, accurate and engaged yeah. to be able to talk about it. You have to, you have to be engaged. And uh, I, I can't say what came first, whether it was reinforced or metalheads, but I do remember when Goldie uh, put out his album because we did a remix for him for Inner City Life. And uh, you did or represented? Uh, no, so me and Crust did the remix for right, him. right. And then when we got noticed by by Giles Peterson and Paul Martin for, who were part of Talking Loud right who that's, a, that's a never that's when we had the opportunity to start represent right okay so it's it's really difficult to talk about because it's, it's, it's a such a timeline it's a lot of timelines and it was a long first? time ago yeah but you know once we signed the deal with um with uh with Talking Loud and Mercury that's when we had the option, the opportunity and the options to be able to go out and buy equipment, buy the studio. Oh, was it Mercury Records, was it? That's right. Because Mercury obviously doesn't exist anymore. I remember when I was, um, I was looking for a record deal um, when I was about 19 and, um, and I remember having a conversation with Mercury and it was Mike Smith who used to head up that label at the time, but... Um, that's obviously that's that's gone now. So and I, yeah, I think I think they have gone. I'm not sure, but yeah, I think so. I think they got sold or something happened to Mercury. I'm not too sure, but um, yeah. So there was all these majors like snooping around, but Jars Peterson was and James Avell. They were the two guys. James Avell, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mo Wax and uh, Talking Loud. And they, oh yeah, I saw that documentary. So that they was were really the guys, interesting. They, they, like they would like start turning up at parties and um, next you know you know uh, Paul Martin signed us and. Um, and then, like I said, we got our first paycheck, and then we put uh, represent together. Because James Lavelle was was ba mainly re reggae, right? He was doing kind he of was more like trip hop. Yeah. So let's coin that phrase: trip hop, that so-called Bristol mm -hmm. slow, real kind of just just slow breaks with you know atmospheric sounds on top. Right. So then there was definitely a gap in the market for, for Represent then, I suppose. There wasn't anybody really doing... No, well, you know, Represent was based on two bands. It was based on The Prodigy, because everywhere we used to DJ, we just used to see Prodigy, and we just loved what they was doing. Do you know what I mean? They just sounded so fat. We would DJ, then they would come on afterwards, and they would sound a hundred times louder <laughs> and bigger, and I was like, whoa, that's amazing. I want to do what they're doing. Right. And The Roots... Oh, no way. And it was like, you know, The Roots were like the only band who played live hip-hop at the time. For me, that 
really stood out. So you kind of combine the two together. Yeah. So that's why we had like we'd represent. We had like a live drummer. We had like a live bass player, and then we had like an MC and a vocalist. So we took a little bit from here, a bit from jungle, a bit from this, a bit from that. <coughs> You know, and then people start to say, "Oh yeah, look, but it looks a bit like craft work as well." And da 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 da. Right. So yeah, represent was born just out of the the history of just being, just being around all these different incredible bands, and it just you know it just took it's you know it was like a snowball effect. Represent just became this snowball effect, and it's just it was it was a great time. It was really really cool time to be around back then. Do you think being around, living in Bristol and being around kind of, because um, I don't see anything going on like that from from London. I'm not from London, I I, so I've I've kind of looked at this from a very third person point of view, but um, I haven't seen that kind of. It's almost like you were putting lots of different things into a big cooking pot, stirring it about, and like getting out these these other things that, that nobody else had kind of been into and almost surprising yourself uh, absolutely. with it. Absolutely. It was so many happy accidents. And, um, you know, we were influenced by, you know, people like Nicolette and, and uh, Shut Up and Dance. But there was a, another band as well, well, another group of guys called Unique Free. And they were doing some really different stuff as well, which I really loved. And... Um, I think we've got a track we can play by them as well. Did we have that? Unique three. Yeah. Rhythm takes control. Oh, yeah, man. about the sampling that you guys did and how um, and how broad it was where you how would you decide where and how you would pick and choose you know the, the, the whole thing about represent it was it was like kids in a sweet shop you know like I said we, we signed our record deal and then we was allowed to go out and you know buy the equipment for us to be able to the tools to of to uh, to to make our trades to that was gonna distinguish our sound. And right. everyone was using like S one thousands, Akai samplers. Yeah. You know, that was the sound of of jungle and drum and bass or whatever that everyone was using at the time. But we chose to go down a different route and we started to use these Roland S seven sixties and we would sample different we take breaks and basses and you know, we do a lot of like um, sound design. We, you, that's what you call it now. But back then, we would, you know, we layer up stuff together to create different bass sounds. We would, you know, have on stage four samplers, but these samplers had a screen as well. On so you stage, could, did yeah, you yeah. Say? We used to use them on stage. There was the time when we was um, at Glastonbury. And it was floppy disks as well. No jokes. What, the floppy disk you put in no it? No jokes. Proper, <laughs> like, and we was on Glastonbury doing, I think it was like our second show. How the fuck did that work with a floppy disk? Oh, yeah, well, you know, anyway, this, that's, a, that's, a, that's a different podcast for a different time. But being on stage with these samplers, never, ever trust digital equipment. Five minutes before we're about to go on and everything just crashes. No. So we just get dynamite just to go up on stage and it's like, just talk to them, just talk to them before, so we could reboot it all back uh -huh. up and then on cue, we re reboot them, bam, we start the show and we're lucky everything just turns out to be one of the best shows ever. Is Dinah from Bristol or is he a Brighton boy? Uh, Dynamite's originally from, uh, from Gloucester, but you know. Oh, right, yeah, cool. But we were like, we were sampling like right. whatever. We were like, we had, you know, we'd go to America or we'd go like, around record shops and just get all these breaks and all these different, you know, places we would just go oh, really? and source. Yeah, come to London and, you know, find, you know, go, go crate digging and just to find sounds and breaks and beats. And that was our collection. That was our, you know, 
that was our source. And because we were going to like shops in New York that no one knew about, we would go to all these different places. So we wow. had all these breaks and all these different sounds that no one else had. So I mean, was that all... conscious then, or, or did you did you go did you sit down and be like, right, well, let's? It's, it's the hip hop. That's the that's the hip hop way, right? Do you know what I mean? But then, I don't know anybody else that would have done that. Well, the, the, you know, the hip hop boys kind of do that, right? Okay. But then after that, we kind of like thought, okay, do you know what? Rather than sampling records, do you know what I mean? Let's go and get a drummer. So we go and get a drummer in, and we say play this beat, and they come in. They were fascinated. The drummers, they'd come in and. You know, this guy called Clive Dima, great drummer, came in, played some beats. Cy John came in, played double bass. Boom, 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 boom. Right. You know, you would actually just tell them what to play with your mouth. You're like, oh, yeah, play this, try that, try this. Then you stop, we started sampling our own musicians. And that is how we built up our own distinct sounds. You know, by inviting different vocalists in, like Onnelly, uh, different so musicians cool, in, uh, guitarists. You know, because we could afford to do it. We we had a desk, we had microphones through the record we deal. Had a, we had a studio like we're like a room we're sitting in now because we signed the record deal, and that means that meant that we could invite people into the studio. It was great. It was fantastic. We were making our own breaks. That's we so were making our own cool. bases. We were making our own sound, and that's what we did. And that's what Newform became. It became its own. It had its own sound. It had the sound of Clive Dima on the drums. But we would take the drums, we would put them in the sampler, we'd chop them up our own way and replay them back in. That's so it was like. That's man. It's, it's, That's so cool, especially of that time of the 90s. I didn't, you know, I felt like a lot of people were using, you know, digital, they were using the the uh, the, the Akai's and, and the stuff that you've mentioned, and you're, you're totally right. But I don't feel like, especially in drum and bass, not a lot of people were kind of well, no, no, no one was actually doing that I think maybe one or two maybe like that's what Full, I mean Full yeah. Hero or maybe Dillinger yeah you know they were probably uh, you know uh, using some live musicians here and there but really it but was a whole new that, concept And but the thing about it is like the music was getting really dissed by the press they were like oh it's just kids in bedrooms just making these tunes it's rubbish it's not real music until we put like a drummer and a bass player up on stage and, and that's like, when it oh. becomes real then they could then they could see right. it and once they could see it then they understood it they saw the drummer playing at 174 bpms they saw oh, the bass player playing so cool. you know what i mean the double bass it wasn't no sample it was no, like people, the bass player was up there people. playing it and once they saw it that's when they came on board oh, that's so cool man well and, i think we should have a quick example of this and we should play brown paper bag And that's the all original recordings that we did. Steve Graham on the guitars, took it, put it into the sampler, chopped it up, played it back in the 760, took the bass. Um, I just got my guy to play some notes. I was like, yeah, play this note, play that note. Put it across the keyboard, played it all back myself. What about what the mean? filtered noise all the, the filters, drums? That's the sound of the S760, which doesn't sound like anything else. It had a distinct sound. No way. Yeah, so this is... The guitar's lovely. I don't know how you... The, the recording of the actual instruments are so crisp but as well. It was all accident. We didn't know what we was doing. We just got our microphone, stuck it up and go, there you go. <laughs> you know what I mean? Have some of that. We had a brand new compressor. We put that on everything. It's like... <laughs> Pay two and a half grand for it. Going to use it on everything. <laughs> going to use it until your heart's content. It's proper, it's like submersive. It's an experience, I feel like, when you listen to this tune. I feel like you're you're kind of transported to a whole different place, which is what it's so nice and fresh um, about it. And still to this day, sounds like it could come out now. And people are like, whoa, what's this? You, you know the craziest thing? I almost can't remember making it 
because it was like in a succession of records. You was I was making like three or four records at a time. Oh, I see. And it was like, you know, you got to that point and like you've just made like four tunes and you, you're not sure which one's going to uh, gonna jump out. Uh-huh. But this is the one that just stuck. So, I mean, I think it's um, the arrangement that, you know, I got to a point where I was like, you know, I knew I was on a roll. And I just got to a point where I was like, yeah, you know what, you know. I'm feeling I'm like in, in a really good place. We felt like we was in a really good place at that time. So that brings me very very nicely onto new forms, um, and this whole album won a Mercury Prize, right? Yeah, very very honoured to have won a Mercury Music Prize. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Did you? Was it expected? Did you know that absolutely one thousand <laughs> million percent? unexpected did you know you were creating something special when you were making the album no not at all we you know there's there's too many stories to 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 talk about but the the main story is like the first track on the on the album is called railing and uh, we actually had to pretend because i lost the dat tape for it so we actually took it off the dub plate and put it onto a dat tape right right and then gave it to the record company like yeah, here it is, because that's the only version we had. And it just melted, it just like stuck it on the beginning of the album for new forms and it just worked perfectly into Brown Paper Bag. And it was just it was just meant to be. And once that happened, it was fantastic. It was the record was done, it was like it was like good to go. It was it was it was great. Do you know what I mean? It was like I'll be honest with you, we had just been on tour and we were absolutely shattered and then we heard that we'd been nominated, but we didn't know what the Mercury Music Prize was. We had no clue. So we just got back off on tour and then we had to go straight to London and everyone was in a foul mood, hungry, tired, just really? wanted to stay home and, you know, didn't really, you know, didn't really expect anything. So we went to the award. I remember getting there and we, all we did was just eat the food and got drunk and then just <laughs> did our performance and just sat back and just relaxed. And I remember someone coming up to me, I think it was Fotec or, I don't know, Eddie is or someone coming up to me and saying, like yeah five minutes before they announced it it's like because uh, whisper saying that like, you, you've got it and I was like nah whatever whatever and then um, when they announced it it really was you know a real shock isn't it mad as well because I find that when I release music you know later down the line I have a completely different relationship with that piece of music than I did when I either wrote it or put it out or um, and I kind of I kind of think that's half the beauty of of releasing music is that your relationship changes with it with every year that passes and it's so nice for me to hear now that you know there probably was a time where where you were using that album as no but look I'm good I'm good look this album this project well, you, know, you have to look at your peers it's like yeah. be like you know if, without the DJs you know what I mean champion your music then you know you're nothing so it was like you know, shouts out to every single DJ, like from Groove Rider to to Molly Mar to you know to Fabs to to Brian G, Jack Frost to all the producers, Adam F, Andy, you know everyone. Like I could go down the list and you know thank every single person. Swift. It's weird because they would say the same about you too. All of those guys, we hang together. You know, it's we, very strange to hear blood, this. sweat, and tears yeah. together. It's it's so lovely for me to hear this because. You know, it's nice as a consumer of drum and bass and, and a kind of person that is infatuated with, with the rave and the scene itself. It's so nice that, you know, to hear, to talk to Zinc and for him to talk about you and Andy and then to talk to Andy and him to talk about Zinc and you. And all of your stories seem to line up with each other, talk, like standing outside a music house. You know, Andy was telling the story of when he was when he first played Body Rock and you ran up to him <laughs> and was like, bro, you need to finish with that tune. Yeah, that's right. And you know what? I've, got, I've actually got the, the, the cool plate. Shit. I've got the, the first version of that 10-inch dub plate of Body Rock. No way! I've I got Andy to give it to me, so I've actually yes. got it. I've got his version, his 10-inch like the first ever cut of that. So. See, like this, this it, it feels like such a beautiful movement, drum and bass, which is why, and like as an electronic genre, it feels like such a family, which is so nice. And, uh, you know, it, it must be nice now when you play out. Do you still play records from New Forms in your sets? Oh, yeah. Like, you know, Trust Me is a record that people don't even realise is a uh, Ronnie Size represent track. You know what I mean? People don't even realise that. That, that, was played at the Red Bull uh, Sound Clash, the, the bust up the dance, do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Still busting up the dance, 20 years later. 
and yeah, I, I still play Heroes, and um, you know, I've just done like a like a, uh, a twenty years of, of of new forms. So I've just done like a, a digital version of the of all the remixes and stuff as well. So that's wow. that's that's come out last year, I think. And how? So the whole podcast. This leads me very nicely onto kind of like the, what the podcast is about. How do you think Rave has changed? Do you think it's changed for the better, for the worse, or different? It has changed for the better. There's it's worldwide. They, they they are raving in Jamaica. They are raving on the beaches in Miami. They are raving. They are partying all over the world. Eastern Europe is is no longer just here. You go to places like Tomorrowland. You know they're Croatia, they're, all sorts, you, Albania. All these all these festivals, all these events mm-hmm. are just so great. Raving's definitely getting better. Yes, that is what I love to hear. Ronnie Size, you have been so fascinating. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. And, um, you know, I look forward to, to listening back to this. And uh, It's going to be interesting. Yeah, really interesting. And, uh, you know, thanks for having me, Becky. Thank you. Good luck to you in the future. Thank you so much.